All right, there we go. I wanted to mention a couple things to you. Um, starting this Sunday night, we're going to be having our life groups starting at 6. And yeah, I'm so excited. I mean, just about every life group that was listed in our booklet, 30 of them, is full. So that's a winner. And guys, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to grow groups or grow anything in the church. God's going to do that. But if, if you find yourself not in a group, but you want to be somewhere where the Lord is on Sunday nights, please come to our prayer service. It's not a small group. It's not a life group, but it's a service from 6 to 8 in the Brown Chapel. And um, we just, we love spending time with Jesus and we love him directing our prayers and we love spending time in worship together. So that's an option for you. If the group or groups you've called are full or reached their cap or limit, I'll take you. We, we, we just have a great time in there on Sunday nights. So come join us. That's every Sunday night, the same time that life groups are going on for the same season. So right before Thanksgiving from now until Thanksgiving, don't forget R.T. Kendall will be us in the services Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.30. And we encourage you to invite a friend, be here for that special time. He's, he's got a great sermon prepared and we believe the Lord's going to use it to just really speak to our hearts and to our lives where we are as a church right now. So you don't want to miss that. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything. Oh, don't forget our... Uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're on day four. Um, if you started with us on Sunday, fantastic. If you didn't, start today. Hey, 17 days of prayer and fasting is better than zero days of prayer and fasting. So start with us tonight. Join us. Grab one of those prayer calendars in the lobby as you go and just pray with us every day. We're praying for something personal. We're praying for something regarding our church and its ministry. And we're praying for our nation. So every day there are three things to pray for. And let me just make it simple for you. We're asking you to fast a meal a day or the whole day or however you want to do it. It's, it's between you and the Lord. You're not going to have to turn in a card saying, you know, I fasted chocolate for 21 days or I didn't watch CNN for 21 days or whatever you're fasting media or that kind of stuff. But we want everyone to participate. We, we understand that some of you uh, health wise or medically cannot Stop eating food because of medications you're on or treatments you're under right now. And that doesn't leave you out. There's still a place for you to give something up. And instead of enjoying that activity or those sweets or something else, the time you would spend doing that, spend that time in prayer. And you'll be amazed at how much time we have to pray and spend time in the Lord's presence. I have just loved it. Can I just be honest with you? I'm going to take my pastor hat off right now and I'm going to put my Justin hat on, okay? The last two years we've done this has been a struggle for me. I'll just be honest with you. But this year, something's different. And so I'm just asking for the Lord to allow whatever's going on different with me, it's a joy for me. I look forward to it. I'm like, Lord, what else can I give up for you? You know, what else would please you? It's, it's like I'm to that point now that all I want to do is please the Lord. And it is life-giving instead of life draining. So I want, I'm praying for you and asking the Lord to do that same thing in your heart and in your life because it's wonderful. I'm, I'm just here to testify. It's wonderful. I'm enjoying it. So uh, join us on those 21 days of prayer and fasting. I believe the Lord's going to do some amazing things through this time, not just in the ministry of our church, but in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our children, in our finances. It's amazing when we give things up for the Lord, how He just tends to... Just dump stuff back in our lap. 
that we don't deserve, we haven't earned. We're not twisting his arm. We're just aligning ourselves with his will. So if you're wondering what fasting is, it's that. It's me saying, Lord, I'll give up whatever I need to so that you can have all of me that you want. And so that's what we want to encourage you to participate in over these next 17 days as we finish out our 21 days. Um, Tonight we're going to be in John and in Mark, John 12 and Mark 14. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to uh, because it's written in your notes. But if you want to make some underlines or some notes, we're going to finish our series Part three of becoming a person of one thing. And um, you know that the last two Wednesday nights we've talked about uh, biblical illustrations of where people got the one thing that we're talking about. And just so everybody knows and everybody's on the same page, if we have some guests or new friends with us tonight, our premise or our starting passage, our passages are found in Matthew 6:33 and Matthew 22:34 to 38. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then Matthew 22, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, aren't you glad Jesus always had a response? Even if it was a question. He always had a response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That word first, seek ye first. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's the priority. That's the one thing we're talking about. And that is to delight ourselves in the Lord. Well, two weeks ago we talked about David and his mighty men. Those three men that went to Bethlehem put their lives on the line to bring back a flask of water for David to drink from the well that he knew growing up. And David couldn't even drink it because he said there's been too high a price paid for this water. So he offered it to the Lord as a drink offering and poured it out on the ground. And uh, we talked about the significance of lavishly loving our Lord by putting our life on the line. By, by not doing the minimum requirements or getting by with what we can get by with, but giving him the most and the best of our lives. And then last week we talked about Paul in Philippians 3, where he was saying to us that we need to count everything we've done, whether good or bad, as trash, as manure, <laughs> as dung, if you will. Because that's what that word means in the, in the Greek. Uh, because nothing compares to loving the Lord and putting Him first and making Him priority in our lives. That's basically what that passage was talking about. We talked about Paul's motivations to do that. And we talked about Jesus being our reward. He, he's not going to give us rewards. He will. Those are secondary. But the first reward we get is Him. And He is our inheritance. We talked about that last week. Well, we're going to wrap it up tonight by talking about a woman that is talked about regularly um, throughout church history and throughout the years after this story took place because Jesus prophesied it, it would. But it was Mary of Bethany. She was a woman of one thing. And I love the, the pattern of Mary's life and we'll get into that in just a moment. But if you were Jesus and it was the end of the road for you and for all intents and purposes, you knew the cross was next. You knew that death, you knew that scourging and mocking. You knew that taking on the sin of the world 
for all time and eternity, past, present, and future. You realize Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the people that were there present. He died for the sins of those that were there before and all of us since till he returns. I mean, that's a big deal. Jesus took on all that sin and because of his eternal nature, he was able to carry it all in three days and was in the grave for three days. And he came out victorious and conquered all sin. And he also conquered death, hell, and the grave for us. But Jesus, knowing this is about to happen in his earthly form, 100% man, but 100% God, giving up godly attributes so that he could be Jesus, meaning he, Jesus couldn't be everywhere at once. He could only be in one place, just like you and me. He lived life like we did so that he would understand and, and, and be able to embrace what we embrace and, and deal with in our everyday lives. If you were Jesus and this was before you, what would you do your last couple of days? Where would you go? Who would you talk to? Would you go to somebody that was wealthy and had all the comforts of the, that, that day and time could provide? Uh, would you go uh, sightseeing, you know, maybe check some things off your bucket list? What would you do? I love what Jesus did. He went and spent time with people who he knew and loved and who knew him and loved him. He went to see Lazarus and Martha and Mary. They were good friends of his. They, they understood who he was. They understood why he came. They understood what he was going to do. And Jesus had a special bond with these three people in his life. You would say he was kind of his family that he got to choose. He was born into a family, Mary, Joseph, brothers and sisters. But Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were his friends, the family he got to choose. And so his last days... He was going where he would find the most comfort and rest and not relaxation, but encouragement. Because when we're about to go into something big like that, we need all the encouragement we can get. And Jesus understood that being a man, but being fully God, he said, I need to be around the people who I love the most and who know me the most. And so we see the character in history of Mary come to life, Mary of Bethany. Who is Mary of Bethany? Well, she's the sister to Lazarus and Martha. She's found three times in the gospel. And every time she's found in the gospel story, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's either listening to his teaching or she's worshiping him for who he was. He was God made flesh. So let's read about Mary in John 12, 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So this whole issue of Lazarus dying and coming back to life had already taken place. Jesus is going back to, to see them one last time. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, which we, that's, that's Martha's MO, isn't it? Jesus, why is Mary in there talking to you? We got dinner to prepare here. You brought a lot of guys with you with these disciples. But Martha, that was what, she was wired that way. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard or 12 ounces, about the size of a can of Coke, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. 
Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And then in Mark's gospel, a same retelling of the story. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, which he wasn't a leper any longer. He was healed. That's why they were able to eat together. But they differentiated him, Simon, from all the other Simons or Simeons of that time because that was a very common name. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Father, as we dig down in these verses for the next few moments, I'm just asking that you would grab hold of our heart and let us see the actions, the motives, and the activities of this woman of one thing. And Lord, would you make it a part of our DNA? Would you change us from selfish to selfless? Would you open our eyes to see the more noble and honorable thing is to sit at your feet, to give you all that we have, to waste our inheritance on you, as it were, Because that's what you really desire, is reckless abandonment to you. And Lord, Mary did that so beautifully. Teach us how to do that with our lives as we talk through this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you have to understand, Spikenard, or Nard, was a very expensive perfume because it was imported from India. So it had come a long way to get to where it was there. In Israel, it was worth the annual wages of a common laborer, about 12 ounces. And this was Mary of Bethany's inheritance. We don't know if her parents gave it to her and said, save this for when you set up house or have your family of your own and use this to buy property. Or we don't know all the background of that, but that was all she had. It would be what we would call our nest egg today. Everything you have. Now, some of us, you know, you're looking at your neighbor going, I got 50 bucks in the bank, you know. It was much more than that. If you're on the Dave Ramsey plan, it was six to 12 months of income in a savings account, all right? That's what this perfume was worth. 
And in doing this, in breaking this alabaster jar, this glass or marble jar full of this perfume, and anointing the head of Jesus, she, she really went against the cultural norms of the day. There were at least three norms that she broke. Number one, she approached Jesus, a male, at the table. The men sat at one table and the women sat at another. And you don't approach the men at the table unless you're a servant there to serve them. Number two, she let her hair down in public. That was a no-no back then. Um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't understand that because some people wear their hair up and some people wear their hair down and some people wear their hair in the middle and sideways. And I mean, th that's just not a part of our culture to understand. But it was seen as a sign of intimacy. In fact, uh, if you ever watch Little House on the Prairie, love that. That's good television, okay? That's good television. You'll notice that when Charles and his wife go to bed, her hair's up all day. She's working, she's cleaning, she's serving the family. He's out working. But when it's time to go to bed, she lets her hair down. He only saw her with her hair down. And that was pretty much the culture of that time. So she's approached Jesus at the table. She's let her hair down in public. And then three, she wiped his feet with her hair and, and you just, you don't touch people of the opposite sex in this culture, much less with hair that has been let down. And you have to understand, this was an act of love and devotion, but it was done in humility. And can I take it a step further? In humiliation. You know, people talk about things that aren't appropriate when they happen. And you better believe they were talking about Mary of Bethany. I can't believe she approached the table. I can't believe she let her hair down. This single woman, she knows Jesus is a single man. I can't believe she touched him, much less his head, much less his feet. You, you just didn't do that unless you were the servant sent to wash the feet of those who had traveled to the house. And that was the lowest of the low job in that day and time, was the person who washed people's feet. But if you, if you read on, this is in Mark 14 or, or John 12. If you read on in John 13, it talks about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I'm wondering if John was setting us up with Mary dealing with feet as a foreshadowing of Jesus about to deal with feet in the next chapter. We don't know for sure, but we do know this. The act of love and devotion that Mary gave to Jesus was done to her humiliation and in humility. And we think about this and we're like, wow, I don't understand. I know we don't understand because we didn't live in that time. But I feel like the Lord has some principles that we need to latch on to in Mary's actions toward Jesus and Mary's response to the love of Christ and his mission and how she responded to him lovingly in that moment in front of everyone. It, it wasn't secret. It wasn't hidden. It was out in the open. Lavish, extravagant love in public. It, it was one of the biggest public displays of affection that could have been given in that time. So let's look at number two principles from Mary of Bethany's life. 
Number one, intimacy sustains our intensity. I love the word intimacy. And I, the way I remember what it means is into me see. It means ultimate transparency. Look into my life, see who I am, see what I'm about, and still love me for who I am. That's intimacy. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be between husband and wife. That's the way it's supposed to be between us and the Father. Intimacy with Him. We, we say, Lord, look into me and see what you see. Because I want to look into you and see what I see there. But only intimacy can sustain our intensity. If we want to live a life of one thing, if we want to live a life that is red hot for the Lord, if we want to live a life that is moving and shaking for the kingdom, it will not be in the strength of the flesh. I love what um, Melanie said on Sunday in her book interview. Our strength eventually runs out. Whatever strength it is, if it's financial strength, guess what? It's going to run out. If it's muscle strength, guess what? It's going to run out. If it's intellectual strength, guess what? Somebody's going to be smarter than you. But it has to be the strength that comes from knowing the Lord. And how do we know him? By spending time with him. So intimacy with him, spending time with him sustains our intensity. That's the only way we will make it the long haul. Had somebody ask me today, how do you deal with death and sickness and trouble and marriages falling apart as a pastor? How do you do that? And I wanted to go, I don't know, but I do know. I don't do it. I can't do it. I have to spend time with the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord is not a nicety for me anymore. If it ever was, it's a necessity for me and it's a necessity for you if we're going to make it for the long haul. Intimacy sustains our intensity. So if we want to be intense for the Lord, if we want to be a go-getter, if we want to see things happen in the kingdom. Now, I'm not saying in the strength of our flesh. I'm saying led by the Holy Spirit, empowered and equipped by him full of the love of God, full of the compassion of Jesus, then we have to spend time in the Lord's presence. That is, there's no shortcuts. There's no cliff's notes. It has to be time spent is the result of what comes from our intimacy with the Lord. Because number one, we were created to be a people after God's own heart. We were not created to be a people after our own heart. And yet we live that way. Where do I want to go today? What do I want to do today? What do I want to eat today? What do I want to spend my money on today? Who do I want to talk to today? We live as a people after our own heart, but we were created to live as a people after God's heart. God, where do you want me to go today? God, who do you want me to talk to today? God, how do you want me to spend my money that's really your money today? That's the shift. It's not a me only, it's a him helping me to serve him in everything I say and do. The key to sustaining our intense desire to be fully given to God is to have fresh encounters with his heart. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go to a conference every time you want a fresh encounter with God. That's good. 
But you can have a fresh encounter with God on your sofa at 5.30 in the morning with your Bible open, worship music playing, and you focusing on the one who loves you more than you could ever love yourself. That is where we have fresh encounter. When we focus on him and nothing else. When we put him first and nothing else. Our intensity will only stay at maximum optimum level when we are receiving a fresh encounter and revelation of who he is, of his love, of his will, of his ways, of his peace, of his life, of his character. It comes from knowing him and him revealing himself to us. We have to have fresh encounters with his heart. But not only does intimacy sustain our intensity, but a heart of devotion is really all we have to offer God. Seriously, what do we have that God needs? You ever thought about that? What do I have that the almighty creator of the universe could possibly want or need? Nothing. It's like buying a rich man a birthday present. What, what are you going to get a guy or a girl who has all the money in the world, something that they don't already have or haven't bought and sold 20 times before you even thought of the first thought of a gift that would fit? What do we give a God who knows everything, who has everything? You know what we give him? You know what he wants more than anything else? He wants our heart. He wants our selfless devotion to him. That's what he wants. And that's all that Mary had to offer. You see that in Luke, Luke's gospel, chapter 10. This is when she's sitting at his feet. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Mary didn't try to teach Jesus. She didn't try to one-up Jesus. She didn't try to ask him a ton of questions. She just sat and listened to what he was saying because she knew that from his very mouth were coming words of life and healing to her soul. If we can ever get in a posture where we can sit at the feet of Jesus. I love the song that we sang tonight. I just want to sit at your feet. I just want to gaze in your eyes. I just want to hear what you're saying. I want to hear your heartbeat, Lord. That's, that's Mary. That song summed Mary up right there. Because every time you see her, she's at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him or listening to what he had to say. Because she knew that in him were the very words of life. Mary had developed the rare quality of living before an audience of one. Mary didn't live before an audience of Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. She didn't live before an audience of people that she didn't know, trying to impress them with things she couldn't afford. Mary lived a life before an audience of one. In fact, she didn't even help Martha set the table for the other 16 or 17 people that were supposed to be at the meal. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening, attentive, waiting on every word, leaning into. If she couldn't understand it in her spirit, at least she was leaning toward understanding it. 
Sometimes if we don't understand it, we just drop it and say, well, I don't get that, and we walk off. No, lean in. The Lord wants us to lean in. He'll, he'll accelerate our understanding. He'll elevate our anointing. He'll, he'll give us accurate articulation of what we need to understand, but we got to lean in. we got to want it. And He wants us to want it. Because if we'll want it like he wants us to want it, guess what? We'll get it. We will get it. And it will be life-changing, life-giving, and we'll just get caught up in love with him all over again and we'll, we'll just have to have more. I love the fact that my daughters dance at a Christian dance company. That's not against any other dance company on the planet. But this is the whole premise of the South Carolina Christian Dance Theater. And... Miss um, Cynthia, if you're here tonight, you are awesome. But she teaches these girls from two and three and four-year-old in preschool. We dance for an audience of one, and his name is Jesus. My daughter, who's about to turn 14 next month, you ask her, Laurel, who do you dance for? And she'll tell you, I dance for an audience of one. And if anyone else gets to see it, that's icing on the cake. But the priority is that my dance pleases the Lord. And that's the reason I like the dance studio, because it's not just teaching them dance. It's, it's, they're making disciples. <laughs> and it's legit. And that's not a promo for them. I mean, I'm not getting a kickback or anything. I'm just saying when we can learn to live a life before an audience of one, or dance before an audience of one or speak to an audience of one or love like Jesus is sitting there watching us love. Then we're, then we're on to something. Then we're starting to get it. Things are starting to click and come into more clear focus. Letter C, Mary had given herself to the first commandment. We see that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Sometimes we get those out of order. The first and second, first greatest, second greatest commandment. The second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. But so many times we start with that one. And can I just offer to you tonight that we can't do the second commandment until we've mastered the first commandment. Because our love for other people will run out. It's that strength thing again. It's, we're not going to have enough to carry us for the long haul. We have to spend time loving the Lord our God first with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when we do that, we're able to love others and we're able to love ourselves appropriately. But it comes from loving Him and Him loving us. And Mary had given herself to the first commandment. And I love this too. Letter D. Mary had a deep trust in time of crisis. Just weeks or months earlier, her brother died. They had called Jesus. They had sent word. Jesus, they didn't call him. There was no phone. But they had sent word. Jesus, you got to come. Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is not doing well. We need you to come. We need you to be here. What, what do you do when family gets sick? You call them in. You call them in because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how long you've got with them. And what did Jesus do? He waited. That was not Father's plan for him. Wow, the very people he loved, he was able to put on hold and still obey the Father and maintain his relationship with the Father as his first priority. 
There's a whole sermon in that. And I can't even, we got seven minutes, so I can't even go there. But just do some study on your own. But when it was time, Jesus showed up. And what was, what was wrong? Lazarus had died. But when are we going to understand that it doesn't matter what has happened? When Jesus shows up, everything changes. Everything changes. And I love what Mary did. She didn't run to Jesus and accuse him. Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Because if you'll look in the scripture, just in the English text, there isn't a um, asterisk, an ampersand, an at sign. It, it's not Jesus, if you'd have been here, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. No, it's just a period. It was a statement. It was a declaration of truth. Jesus, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And what did she do? She wept at his feet. She was worshiping him. She dropped to her knees and worshiped Jesus in her grief and said, Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. But I'm going to worship you anyway. I am here to worship you anyway, even though it didn't go the way I wanted, even though I asked you to come earlier and you didn't show up until now. But she was still, God was priority. Jesus was priority in that moment. Number one, Jesus did not weep because of Mary's unbelief. He wept. And this is the Bible that we all, the verse we all memorize as kids because it was the shortest and we got the candy. <laughs> Jesus wept. We really cheapened that verse, but why did Jesus weep? It wasn't because of Mary's lack of faith. It was because he loved Mary. And guess what? When we love someone and they cry, guess what? We cry. We respond like they respond. That's why that verse in the New Testament says, when some rejoice, we all rejoice. When some weep, we all weep. Why? Because we're in a love relationship connected by the Spirit of God. And our emotions are going to match the situation. And Jesus had emotions. And he saw the woman he, that he loved, his sister, his friend, crying. And so he cried with her because he had compassion and empathy for her in that moment. Number two, by being a people of one thing, our hearts can be immunized against any sense of betrayal the enemy would like for us to buy into. Can you imagine the lies of the enemy in that moment that Mary could have been hearing and buying into? Well, if Jesus really loved you, he'd have come earlier and healed your brother. Why, who does he think he is showing up now? These are lies that we hear regularly. We're, our minds are constantly being bombarded by the lies of the enemy. Because hell itself, let's start with letter A in the Christian life lessons. All the powers of hell will fight to keep us from becoming a people of one thing. Because hell knows, the devil knows that when we can put him as priority, guess what? There's a lot of battles automatically just won right there. They're not even going to be brought up because those battles aren't even worth fighting. The enemy's like, we can't even go there. We got to change our strategy. This, this is a man of one thing. This is a woman of one thing. So you want to cut out half the battles in your life? Become a person of one thing because all hell itself is against you and I becoming a man or a woman of one thing, putting Christ first, making him priority. Letter B, a lifestyle of intimacy is considered by many to be wasteful, inefficient, 
and disruptive. That's just a heads up. That's just a heads up because when you lavishly love your Lord and Savior and you give your time and you give your talent and you give your treasure and you give your testimony to Him, people are going to think that's inappropriate. That's not balanced. That's inefficient. God doesn't work like that. That's my sarcastic voice. Even the disciples, they're talking amongst themselves. Why this waste? This, this blew me away when I was studying this. The same word waste. Why this waste of perfume is defined as perdition later on. Speaking of Judas in John 17, 12. Mary was criticized for wasting money. But Judas, a man of perdition, was criticized for wasting his life because it was all about money. And it was never about the kingdom or the things of God. That same word. And yet Mary was on top. Mary said, I'll waste whatever I need to waste because the Lord's worth it. And, and this is why we went ahead and received the offering. Because this is not a manipulation to get more money. I've heard missionaries, I've heard pastors, I've heard church leaders use this verse to increase the offering. Shame on every last one of them. Because it's not about our money, it's about our life. It's about our heart. It's about the motive in which we do things. And only Jesus can purify that motive. Do not let any man or woman manipulate you into thinking that God is displeased if you chose to go to McDonald's with your family than give in the offering tonight. Jesus, help us all. It is a life of devotion and love to our Savior, knowing that He's worth it all. Whatever we have at any moment, you can ask and say, will you give this? I hope my answer will be yes. And what else can I provide? What else can I let go of? What else can I give? Because everything we touch in this life is temporary. It's not eternal. We've got to quit building our kingdoms here and our empires here. And we've got to start building our kids kingdom up there. That's what he's after. He's after our heart. And I'm, I'm not fussing at y'all because y'all are here on Wednesday night. I'm just, I'm just fired up about this. The person living for one thing may never speak a word. You may never utter a word, but your life and lifestyle will become a touchstone, a dividing line. People will judge good and evil based on how you live your life. When you and I become a person of one thing, that's the kind of life I want to live. When I walk in the room, my dad was a touchstone. When he walked into the room, things changed. Things changed. And it wasn't because he was glad handing everybody and politicking and kissing babies. And No, it's because he'd been with the Lord. When Pastor Stephen walks into a room, things change because he's been with Jesus. And people recognize the power and presence and anointing of God on people who are one thing people. 
I want to be that kind of person. Not so I can say, well, when I walk in the room, things change. No, I want to have such a relationship with the Lord where when people see me, they just desire him more than anything else they could want in this life or what it has to offer. That's the kind of life I want us to live. A people of one thing. Letter D, we're wrapping it up. Joyful intimacy with God is the great power source of the kingdom of God. That was not a grammatical error. It was not an error in choosing of words. Joyful intimacy with God. Sometimes we look at intimacy with God as, well, man, crap, I got to do this hard stuff. But I'm just telling you, it can be joyful when our lives reflect His. It can be joyful when our desires become His desires. And I want to encourage you to live a life of joyful intimacy. Rejoice in time spent in the presence of God. Rejoice in time spent in the Word. Rejoice when the Spirit comes upon you in worship. And you have a sense of heaven is just, I mean, I could just pop the, the veil and just, there it is. I, I, I don't know about y'all, but I just, I feel like every time we gather, every worship service, we're just, the veil's getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner. And it, I mean, it is razor thin right now. And I just know, I, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know one day we're going to walk in here and it's not going to be the same. And that's what we're after because we are becoming a people of one thing. I got to quit. Y'all got to go get your kids. Stand up with me. Father, thank you for Mary of Bethany. You prophesied it and it has come true. This woman has been honored since the day she broke the jar of perfume and anointed your head and anointed your feet and wiped them with her hair. This lavish act of extravagant love. She got nothing out of it other than the pleasure of knowing she had gotten you ready for your mission. And Lord, I'm sure there's great reward in heaven. The fact that she's been talked about for centuries to everywhere the gospel has been preached. Lord, can I just get a sliver of that blessing? <laughs> that Mary has? Would you teach me to be a person of one thing, to put you first? Lord, I know this has just been a short three-week lesson on becoming people of one thing and making you the priority. But Father, we want more than anything for you to receive pleasure from us in our worship, in the way we live our lives, in the way we conduct business, in the way we speak with words, in the way we sing, in the way we raise our families. Father, we want to exemplify what David's mighty men, what Paul and what Mary of Bethany lived out in their faith. Show us what that looks like. Lord, show me what that looks like in my job tomorrow. Show me what that looks like in my marriage this evening when I go home or in my family with my children, show me what this looks like in my friendship relationships when I get together with my buddy tomorrow. Father, show me how to be a person of one thing and to put you first because that's where our delight is. 
And Lord, if there's anyone here who they have been challenged with this message and maybe they're not sure that they know you as their Lord and Savior, as the one who forgives their sin and wants to lead their life. Father, give them the courage to talk to their friend they're sitting with or to come and talk to me after service because the first act of business is to make sure you're Lord of all so that we can then put you first in everything. Bless us as we go. Keep us safe in this storm. And Lord, as schools are closed tomorrow and folks are just trying to figure the day out, we just pray for extra grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Sorry to hold you over. Have a great night. I love you. We'll see you Sunday, Lord willing.